Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the Crisp Drawer. This is Season 2, Episode 1, Ace Cactus, Battle Battle Fleet Anchovies, and Romaine Lettuce Evil. (laughs) If you get those references, you get the puns and what the actual thing should be. It's a gaming episode today, because I don't feel like talking about politics. I know, that's amazing, isn't it? But Christmas was quite nice, New Year's was quite nice, and then... There was a lot of stuff that went down in January, and um, I have opinions about some of it and opinions about other stuff, and I'm really just tired, tired of dealing with it and hearing about all the stuff, and better people have better voices on it, and you can go search those out if you want. So, let's jump right into it today. <coughs> First, we're going to start off with Ace Combat, then we're going to fly across the Gothic se- sector out into Cadia. To be part of Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2. And then we're going to finish up mostly discussing the Resident Evil 2 remake that very recently got released. I'm recording this on February 1st, 2019. Took most of January off. In fact, I took practically all of January off. I didn't have any really thing to talk about until Ace Combat 7 came out, and that was on uh, January 18th, and then I just got swamped after that. So it was hard making time to go do this. But here we are. It's February 1st. And I will be ramping up recordings of more stuff going forward. (coughs) Son of a... (coughs) Damn, my cough is still annoying. But anyway, let's get into it. (sighs) So, Ace Combat 7 is out on the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and today it got dropped on the uh, the PC for Steam. And frankly... It met all my expectations and exceeded some of them. Um, in my opinion, the VR alone is almost worth the price of admission just because of how amazingly well done it is. Uh, which it makes me sad that uh, the PC people are going to have to wait almost a full year. I think it's... I don't know if it's Feb, if it's January 18th, 2020 or if it's uh, February 1st, 2020 when the VR becomes available for PC... And maybe if Xbox gets a VR unit, maybe they'll have it by then. But it is extremely well done, and I can't wait till the people on PC are able to experience it. Some guys are probably going to make cracks that allow you to play the regular game as if you were in VR. Um, maybe that would be really, really, really cool. But it, the game's been great. Um, just It's said the VR is only on PlayStation 4 right now. I wish more people could experience it. <coughs> It was definitely worth the wait, in my opinion, for since the last uh, Ace Combat game, which was Ace Combat Assault Horizon I played, which wasn't that many years ago, uh, really. That was the mid-2010s, early 2010s, so it wasn't too long ago. However, for people who had not, who didn't think that Ace Combat Assault Horizon was that great, they've been waiting since, you know, it's been almost 11 years since 2000, uh, since, uh, well... 2006, 2007, when Ace Combat 6 came out. That's a long time to wait for a numbered Ace Combat game. But I, they, they did really well. It's it's 20 missions. Um, mission 20 is the primary boss battle mission of the entire game. Uh, it, it's just... It, it is an arcade game, which is how Ace Combat has always said it is. But it feels long, uh, which is fun. It, it just it feels so full. The voice acting is, gr- is pretty good. The, the story and how they tell it is quite uh, quite interesting. Uh, 
It, it, it's quite well done. The graphics are stunning. The gameplay is just oh, great. The the soundtrack is very is quite diverse for an Ace Combat series. I mean, Ace Combat's always had a really good soundtrack um, for all their games since four and going forward. Um, four, five, zero, six, and Assault Horizon all had really good soundtracks, and Ace Combat Seven does not disappoint in that department. Um, extremely fun to play. A lot of replay value. Um, they added in the aircraft customization system, which is apparently in Ace Combat Infinity to a degree. So it's a little more like not only do you buy your plane and you buy your kit out stuff, um, your your secondary and weapon systems, your special weapons <laughs> systems. You also get a um, you also get to have, have put eight parts on your airplane. Now those parts also take up slots via they in body weapons or you know uh, electronic systems that defend and help protect you. And it's quite amazing how they've added that in. So you pick like what you think is best for that mission. Maybe you're on a, in a uh, mission that's going to be flying in tight spaces, so you might want to have the uh, the part that means that you don't take as much damage when you hit the ground. Maybe you're maybe you're playing uh, flying mostly in the sky against enemy fighters. Maybe you want an ECM uh, or stealth adapt uh, adaptivity piece that allows you to stay more hidden. They really, really thought ahead, and, and credit to the team who just who worked so hard on that game. And I, I did buy the special edition that was available in North America, the Aces of War, and the book that comes with it. While there is a few <coughs> um, typos, and it, it's so well done and so large, it, it's like um, it's quite a large. It tells the story of Ace Combat Zero, Four, Five, and Seven. And, and six can't forget six can't forget the Anya conflict. It's it's so well done. It just gives a bit of behind the scenes, a bit of science about the idea of the space elevator in number seven. I mean, I I can't I can't fault it. Uh, is it worth how much they're asking for? No, I think that they should sell that book. Uh, Bandai Namco should sell that book, like for thirty bucks instead of making a requirement of you have to pay one hundred and twenty American for it. And I hope that the Arsenal Bird later be, uh, which was available for the uh, the huge uh, special edition package, uh, the Arsenal Bird editions that were, or the Strange Real editions specifically, they're available in Japan, Asia, uh, Europe, and um, <clears throat> and Australia. I hope that that, that Arsenal Bird um, model is able to be bought either through Bandai Namco store as like a collectible piece. Or that there are like full size kits. I don't want a model kit. I want like it as a full size diecast unit or like metal or plastic, like you know, standy. That would be really cool to get, and I'd be willing to pay for it. However, I was, you know, they only release in certain places. A little disappointing about that. Again, it looks the game, the story is great. The characters are great. Um, a lot of good aircraft in it. I'm not all the way through it. We're getting three more missions, I think, is DLC. Um, the VR is only three missions long, but it's quite fun, plus the ability to do the air, the, uh, the air show program in VR is quite, quite fun to play around with. It's... There's not a lot I can criticize about it. I can say that... For people who have been waiting 11 years for it, maybe this isn't the best game for them. Uh, but at the same time, when you keep your hopes up super high, sometimes it's just, uh, 
Um, the second Arsenal Verde fight in Mission 19 does feel like quite a slog. But considering it's the penultimate mission, this is like the ultimate weapon in the in the uh, game's universe at that point that you know of. It makes sense that it's hard and long. I can't really blame them for it. I could see other people not being happy with it, but I myself are like, eh, what, whatever. I, I absolutely enjoy that mission because it feels so good. And the way that um, how they were able to use... Uh, the I'll I'll say this the way how they were able to reprogram the game using the soundtrack so that the the soundtrack uh, or at least the songs in the levels could loop until a specific event and then move on to the next one versus how in um, Ace Combat all the older Ace Combats they had to predict where you would be before the loop it would be the whole song would loop and you, they'd hope that you would be at a crush, at a point when the crescendo of like that song is happening. Now they can control it, which makes it um, even more immersive that, oh, the soundtrack is signal signaling to you something has changed in the mission and, and in the in the level. Now you can actually move on or do something. And that's, that's something that definitely other games have done, but they've done it by having you change the song. Now, for them, it's like, no, we've added a part in the song that continues on, and then it fully loops after that, but... We've made it loop the first part, then you get, then this happens, and then this thing happens, and then it keeps going. And that was just, that's quite brilliant programming, and that really, really is immersive and sucks you into the game. And they're like, what? <laughs> wow, something, whoa, that's that's really cool. Oh, oh, the shields are down. Let's go take this thing out. Let's finish this job. And, and really good. Of course, there is, uh, much like all Ace Combat games, you have to have a tunnel flight in it, which is quite fun. Probably one of the most epic tunnel flights in the Ace Combat series, because you not only fly into a tunnel to the space elevator, then you have to fly vertically up through the space elevator. <laughs> but, oh, man, I'm, I was really happy with it. Really worth the wait. And I'm happy that they almost, like, they knew going in that when they decided to um, give that delay in 2017, when they said we're delaying it, it was because they want to make it better, and I can see um, parts where they definitely worked on. If they hadn't have done that, maybe this game wouldn't have been the way it was. Uh, and I, I do like the other twist of um, how later on in the game, the your IFF system screws up. So now instead of just like, oh, you start the mission, you know who the good guys and bad guys are, now you have to fly over and identify the good and the bad. And that's actually quite a unique perspective, because that... You know, and probably in real combat life today, for if if let's say there was a major war, real fighter jets would have to determine that. They would have to have either communications with the ground, and they'd have to <coughs> have their AWACS and their bases and stuff like that communicating with them to know, like, okay, this is our forces, that's their forces. I know that um, IFF is becoming more and more of advanced technology, but it's amazing how in this game they actually make fun of how there are still flaws with the idea of IFF and how, hey, if this super way of doing it fails, then we have to find a new way to do it. It's quite, quite, that's quite a twist in the game. Like, not, not, okay, I shouldn't use twist, but it's quite a dynamic change of like, <gasps> okay, okay, everybody on that, like, my, I know where my, my allies are, everybody beyond that is my bad guys. And I was like, I don't know who's who. I could bomb all of them, but I'll lose points if I hit my own guy, so I better freaking wait. <coughs> and it's it's quite 
you know, it, it, in one level it becomes quite tense because it's a city at war with itself, and you don't know who who are who are Ocean units, who are um, Erusian units that are now uh, sided with you, and who are Erusian uh, Erusian hardliners. You don't know until you fly over and. The, all of them will shoot at you until their IFF is updated and your IFF is updated so that they're good guys or bad guys. And that's that's quite a quite a fun thing. Um, I won't go too much more into it, uh, but you know, a lot of cool planes. Of course, you can fly the F twenty two, you can fly the F thirty five, you can fly. Thankfully, they put the F the YF twenty three in it. Um, the Black Widow, love that plane. Um, Quite a lot of good Russian uh, MiGs. Uh, well, you've got the MiG-29, the MiG-31. Then you've got a lot of the Sequoia, Sequoia uh, Su-27 family in there, which is quite fun. Uh, as well as the Su-57. Uh, I don't know what they ever really named that. Um, I just know it, it was called the T-50 Pack FA in North America for a while. I don't know if that's still their standing, the NATO designation for it, or if it's changed. And then, you know, you've got the Eurofighter Typhoon, you've got the Re- the Re- the uh, Dassault Rafale, you've got um, the Saab, Saab Vegan, which is in it. Uh, you can you can also play the, uh, the Dassault Mirage 2000. And then you've got the stereotypical U.S. aircraft. You've got the A-10, the F-16, the F-18. Uh, the F-15, which you both have, which you have three versions of. You've got the F-15C, uh, air superiority fighter. You've got the F-15J, Japanese version of the air superiority fighter, the F-15 Eagle. And then you've got the F-15 Strike Eagle E variant, as well as having... Um, oh, jeez. And then you've got the Japanese um, F-2A, which is their, their Viper Zero, their more ground attack version of the uh, F-16, as well as um, the MiG-21 and the F-104 Starfighter. And for those who fought uh, the special editions, the deluxe editions, the closest editions, they would have gotten as well um, char- the character Avro Mead's uh, her F-104, which you can only fly during free mission because it's just a nice silver fighter. And then the um, old retired uh, F-4 Phantom, which is just... It's it's fun to see the F-4 Phantom playable again in multiple paints games. So it's it's quite um it's quite a full game. It does... Uh, you know, I, I can't complain over it. I w- you know, they, they made uh, the checkpoint system a little bit better. So for those who are doing no damage runs, you can definitely do it and take advantage of the that. And as well as when you hit the checkpoint system, you get a reload of your ammunition if you decide to... Reload the checkpoint there. <clears throat> so that's about all I can really talk about on Ace Combat 7. I'll check back in later when we have more information on it, like when the new... Because there's three DLC, DLC planes and DLC missions, I think. I don't know if there's going to be super planes or just added planes or whatever. It'd be really cool if we get, like, you know, the a- ADF-01 uh, Falcon in there and maybe even a few other super planes. So I'd like the uh, CF-44 Nosferatu from Ace Combat six because that was a really fun plane but who knows what they'll add in we'll have to wait and see and maybe there's some more hidden planes that 
we just haven't figured out yet because I only know the, the, the first secret plane that I've unlocked. I don't have enough money to buy it yet. I'm grinding for it. And the grind isn't that bad because there's a lot of good levels you can get 100,000 plus points on normal mode. Uh, almost 200,000 points in normal mode in one go. And and one of those missions, which is based in the northern seas of uh, Usia, is just a ridiculously fun mission. So it it's like... I, I don't care <laughs> playing that mission many times. It's just such a fun mission to play. Okay, uh, let's move on to Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2, <coughs> which came out six days after Ace Combat uh, 7. Now, the good thing is, is that Battlefleet Gothic Armada is a completely different uh, player base. It's a tactical ship game based in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. <coughs> Based on the latest edition of Warhammer 40,000, I think it's the 7th edition. After this, after uh, Abaddon, the despoiler's destruction of the fortress world of Cadia. Uh, it, it's quite a cinematic game. Um, quite big. Uh, I played the first one. The first one had an amazing single-player story for the Imperial Navy during the Gothic War, where you basically play, at, play Admiral Spire. It was really good. Um... So far, I've only started the, the... Now, there are three campaigns. Uh, Single-player campaigns in Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2. Uh, you can place the Imperial Navy again through Admiral Spire. There's a Necron campaign. And then there's the Tyranid uh, High Fleet campaign. Now, the Tyranid High Fleet campaign is, is a little different in storytelling because it's the story of the High Fleet campaign is it's told through those who have interacted with the High Fleet who aren't Tyranids and survived or seen like how devastating the Tyranids actually are. So it's quite a, it's quite a different way of telling the story. It's like, hey, I'm telling it through a side story of survivors and escapees from the Tyranids. But let's let's leave that at that. And then we also... Um, I, I couldn't do the lore justice. You'd have to look it up about all the all the things going on that make it something. But, but the, the, so far, I've met uh, <clears throat> Prince Eldrathane, who was in... Uh, who's uh, part of the Aldari, who was in Battlefleet Gothic Armada 1. He's back, so that's that's cool they brought that character back. I'd, I really had hoped they have, because it's... I don't know if we'll interact positively together or not, or so there'll be some like release point that's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing or not. It, it's still... It's cool that they're reaching back and grabbing some of the past, uh, past great admirals and great characters from that universe, and I hope more, more of that comes in. I do know that just prior to release, uh, when it was in the secondary beta that was like released a, a week, like just over a week par- prior to the game coming out, which I think was the 14th of January, a lot of people were saying uh, the multiplayer is great, except that we only have this one mode, which it, uh, was basically capture points. Like there's five points on the map, and you move your navies and you contest over these fighting points, and whoever gets to the X number of points. Or destroys the other navy wins, but you know if you're good, you can probably do that. It's like these big cruiser battles, but they weren't happy. They wanted just like direct cruiser battles, so the devs are like, "Okay, we'll throw that in for sure for multiplayer." And I think um, they're also allowing in the future some of the grand super ships that are in the single player might make it over to the multiplayer one on one or two on two cruiser battles. <coughs> Not percent sure about that. Hopefully. Um, I haven't done too much of looking in for the background of that. I do know that uh, after release, they did come out as a co-op campaign. 
so that you can play with somebody, you can play the campaign with somebody, which makes sense because it, it, it is a lot to deal with. Um, like, there were a few sector, there were a few zones in the Gothic sector in the first Battlefleet Armada that you, you had to do a lot. You only had so many moves on your board, and you had to plan, like, well, where am I going to do this? Where can I do this? Where can I do this? Now it's even more diverse because y- you have to move your fleets between s- systems and then between, like, major, even larger, like, zones um, to, I don't even know, like, a, do they call them sectors or something? Like, because systems, I'd say, like, are the s- solar systems that happen in one map, and then you go to another map, and then you have to move around, and you have to move those ships to the planets that move to the next sector. I'm going to use the word sector. So it is quite a strategic thing, and you have uh, so many fleets that you can have of each rank out at a time, at least from the Imperial side, and your, of course your fleets cost might keep them going. You have to upgrade the planets. You have to buy defenses for the planets. You have to prepare for chaos invasions like orc pirates and all these other things going on. I haven't I, I haven't fought any orc, orc pirate yet. Uh, the only forces I've fought are pretty much chaos. I've done one Altari. I think I've done one or... No, I... I yeah, I've done only one Altari fight. Uh, no, I've done two. And then I've fought one Necron unit. And most of the time, it's just chaos I've been fighting. But that might be just because of the... <coughs> because of the um, structure of the Imperial Navy campaign that most of your enemies would, of course, logically be... Um, impi- would logically be the chaotic forces. But it, it's... <coughs> Again, it, it feels great. Uh, it's cool they brought every single faction that was from the original board game, which I didn't even know there was a board game called Battlefleet Gothic that, um, until after the video game came out. Of course, the, the board game had been long ago. Like I think it was a few years, like m- maybe maybe half a decade prior to uh, to the video game Battlefleet Gothic. Armada coming out that the Battlefleet Gothic board game wasn't even supported or made anymore, so there's there's that. Um, I don't think you can get the miniatures in any way besides for maybe buying them secondhand. I don't believe Games Workshop is making them, but it, it's cool to see how Games Workshop um, and the Warhammer 40k universe has become such an amazing, like interesting. Um, it's been so interesting how how um, some of these games have actually. Re- reborn the universe like how how fun they are like Battlefleet Gothic Armada 2 uh, like I, <clears throat> I didn't know much about Warhammer until I played Ga- Battlefleet Gothic Armada 1 I knew it was like a thing but then I played Battlefleet Gothic I'm like wow this is actually a universe I like I wouldn't want to play the board game because I think the board games are like extremely overpriced in miniature costs I get why people who do it who have the disposable income to support that hobby and want to do that and maybe they're just miniature builders and maybe they're gamers like play it all the power to you if you're able to do it and have fun do it but <clears throat> that's not me that's not me i'm not a good painter i'm not a good person at gluing stuff together but hey for people who definitely are having it great great so nothing but positives about bounty gothic armada 2 um you know unfortunately it came between two games that were more interesting to me but I still says I had time for it. And now on to the final major game release of January that really had my attention. There's probably more. I mean, uh, I think... Uh, well, I mean, the, the new Super Mario Bros. Deluxe Wii U edition got transferred over to the Switch, which has even more stuff on it, which is cool. I'm 
considering looking into that, uh, but we'll see. Oh, I buy it. <laughs> but yeah, Nintendo games are Nintendo games. Some are worth reviewing. Some are just insanely fun and don't need like, hey, if you play the old one, the new one's just as good probably or the new release of it. And Nintendo's still going strong. I think I think they said the Switch officially was the largest selling console in 2018. Don't believe, don't uh, dismiss that. I completely believe that. <clears throat> okay. Um. What else? Oh yeah. Let's go to Resident Evil 2's remake. Remake two. <laughs> and this was something that that I had heard about years ago. So I knew that they were working on Resident Evil 2's remake prior to Resident Evil 7 coming out, because they had asked um, uh, one of the the brand director, who is a fan of all the old Resident Evils, was at Capcom, and he basically sent out like a thing like, what what Resident Evil do you want us to make or remake? Like, we're, we're going to make new games. And he said, like, th- I think this was after 6 had come out. 6 had been okay, but hadn't done amazing. But we knew 7 was on the... We, we hadn't seen anything about 7 yet. Um, so we knew that that six was on the way. We knew that six was done. Didn't do that amazing, but it still was a fun game. But <clears throat> you know, Capcom had pie, like way too high in the sky numbers they wanted out of it. Like it's a survival horror game, more survival action, like horror action game now. But but they had these really high numbers. Like they wanted to move six million units, and there's like no way a, a Resident Evil game moves six million units that quickly. And I don't think Resident Evil 6 ever made 6 million units in sales. Um, I don't know. I think maybe they made a million, maybe they made two. It's sort of the same thing where um, Dead Space suffered that, like, EA kept watering down Dead Space and making it like, oh, it has to appeal to the masses. But then as they tried to make it appeal to the masses, it didn't appeal to the fans who originally wanted it, and the masses weren't interested in a horror game. It's like, oh, it goes from survival horror to action horror, and it wasn't that well, like, transferred over and then it kept like we kept making ea kept making it more vague and more generic and it just sort of washed out and then it died now credit to capcom because they didn't do that i mean they did really water down the experience from resident evil 4 through 5 which had like you know turret sections and did a lot more uh, quick time events and then they brought it into resident evil 6 which had way more quick time events and a lot of like oh here's things that you do here's a driving section it's like well okay it was good but it wasn't like the greatest you could see and then and then normally you'd say oh that's it for a franchise they didn't meet seals expectations no what they turned around they said we're gonna they're gonna make resident evil 7 which they did which i still have not played all the way through i've still only got 12 minutes of it on and they decided we're gonna remake resident evil 2 and we're gonna remake it in an amazing way and they have. And I'm happy about that. Because Resident Evil 2 was a fun game. Now, I have a ported version of it on my GameCube. That's the only version I've ever played. And that's an 11-year-old game. Resident Evil 2 came out in 2000... No, uh, came out in 1998. Which is good, because that's actually the year it's set in. Now, Resident Evil 3 also hasn't been remade. But Resident Evil 1 has been remade. Multiple times. It was first remade for the GameCube as, like, the director's... There was a Resident Evil, then there was a Resident Evil director's cut, and there was a Resident Evil remake for the GameCube, and then there was a remake remaster for the PC, and, I, like, I... 
and then like practically every system at that time. As well as Resident Evil 4 has been remade to, on almost every system post it's coming out. So it's on Res- it was on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, Xbox One, and I believe the Xbox 360 even had it at some point. Uh, and PC has had two versions of it, the Ubisoft version, which wasn't that good, and finally somebody got around to remaster for, for, for the PC. And then Resident Evil 5 was, of course, released on practically everything. Resident Evil 6 was released on everything. Resident Evil 7 was released on practically everything. And then Resident Evil 0 was also remastered uh, for everything. The only things that haven't been remastered is the Dark Side Chronicles and the, um, and the Umbrella Chronicles, which are really more catch-up games, more side story, like, here's a way of telling the story from the original games. And by that, you technically do have, like, Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 remade in parts of those, but not completely. So it's it's not the same feel of it. You definitely would love that feel from Resident Evil 2 and 3 remade. And with Resident Evil 2's remake, the stress is still there. It's, it's much more survival horror. It's like, okay, is it worth killing all the enemies? You've got a limited item supply. You've got a lit- limited um, inventory. You're not carrying around, like, 50,000 guns. You have to ma- manage where you're going. You have to manage your ammunition. You have to use gunpowder to make ammo. You have to... Um, it's just it's it's very well done you have to there is backtracking but that was part of the 90s late 90s video gaming like a lot of action games you had to backtrack over a lot of spots to find everything and the map system's a little bit better uh, you have to play the storyline four t- ways four times through uh th- four separate ways so leon a claire a leon b and claire b but you only unlock the B versions of Leon and Claire by playing the uh, other characters' A version. So to get Claire B, you need to play Leon A. And then, of course, if you beat those, then you get um, get the fourth survivor mode. We know that there's three other stories coming along. Uh, you, I think it's uh, Kendo's gun shop owner, and there's a soldier, and then uh, the 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 Raccoon City mayor's daughter. You get to experience those stories which is cool that they're bringing those in, adding in more stuff to the universe. And then, of course, you've got um, the horrifying uh, Mr. X who chases you around. Um, he does it a little bit in Claire's story, but he does it a lot more in Leon's story because Leon's story spends more time... At least it feels like you spend more time in the... Um, what's it called? Uh, well, you, you, you experience him more times in the police station as Leon than you do as Claire. And it's a frightening timer system. Um, Angry Joe has a great way of describing it as a timer system, and I, I do like that. But really, it, it, it is like, you can only go so many places, and you have to be out of there quickly, because he's going to f- come and find you. Like, walking quietly, and clo- like, opening and closing doors quietly is going to slow him down from finding you. But eventually, he's going to tune in on exactly where you are. Now, some of the safe rooms definitely count as safe rooms. Like, he can't go into certain save rooms and stuff like that, which is nice because that would be that would feel a little unfair. That being said, well, that would feel unfair because sometimes the well, um, the uh, you know the typewriter is in a position where if you went over there to use the typewriter, you're kind of cornered. Now, some rooms definitely aren't like the main hallway is a safe room technically, but he's gonna come in there. <laughs> He's going to walk through there, and he's going to chase you if you're in there. Now, granted, there's a huge amount of space. So you can run around figuring it out, and the visuals in the game feel great. Um, 
the new soundtrack's quite good. I would play it with the old soundtrack, which you can pay if you if you didn't buy the deluxe edition, you pay three more dollars for it. Which is kind of annoying. But uh playing with the old soundtrack is like, oh as Sancre Joseph like brings a lot of stress and tension back in. And you have to remember, like back then they were much more constrained in what they could put in the, those games. Like that was through an N sixty four cartridge and a PlayStation one disc and a and a um and a Dreamcast disc, and then later on they put them on the GameCube, like mini DVD discs. But that's just that is an it, it's just it's very interesting that that game is back in that way, and it it, it feels quite good. They just apparently like this this is a few people off, but they did change the story of Leon coming into the city. Originally, he got drunk after breaking up with his with his girlfriend in Resident Evil 2, the original. In this one, he was called to stay away, and then after a few days of radio silence, he decided just to go into the city to find out what's going on. You can nitpick about that all you want, but most of the other stuff is quite amazing, meeting uh, the right characters and doing all this other stuff. It, it's quite... um, It is quite a game, and I'm happy it's being remade, and I hope that Resident Evil 3 is currently being done by that team. Uh, whoever, whatever team did Resident Evil 2's remake, get on Resident Evil 3. <coughs> and maybe have the team that, and maybe if you have to split that team so that they're working on Resident Evil 8 and Resident Evil 3 or whatever your next plans are, Capcom. That's how you bring a series back. Is you do Resident Evil 7, which you did amazing on, and then you do Resident Evil 2 remake, which is, again, like a, 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 a shining throwback to the past of oh, here's these amazing old survival horror games that were stressful, that had limited stuff, and things that we've, frankly, back in the day were great. They aren't great mechanics today because technology has pushed it so long, but using it, but implementing it again so well, so well they've re-implemented it. It just, nothing but love for it. I mean, it's just, it's great. So happy, and hopefully Resident Evil 3 is quick, is on its way. Because the same engine, like, a lot of the same stuff, environments could be used again. Like, Resident Evil 3, a good portion of the game takes place in the Raccoon City Police Department, which also a good portion of the game of Resident Evil 2 takes place in the Raccoon City Police Department. And they did make some good exteriors, um, which totally look like exteriors from Resident Evil 3 that you run through in Resident Evil 2. So it's like, yeah, that can come back. <clears throat> some areas that were in Resident Evil 2, the original game, make... Don't show up uh, in some ways. I do like how you, in Resident Evil 2, in the remake, you don't get go through um, the Kendo gun shop first. And I thought that that was, uh, was cool. Because um, the Kendo gun shop, even though it was a cool thing, like if you played it right, you could go in, go out. Uh, if you stayed in too long, you'd see him, the glass break, and you'd be able to get your first like next weapon, a shotgun for Leon or bow gun for... For Clay, which the bowgun is missing in Resident Evil 2 remake, but really, like the bowgun acted weirdly in that game. It was like it was sort of like we needed a gun that's not a shotgun for for Claire, so they made the bowgun, which then had uh, first shot three arrows in a weird way, and then you could put explosive powder on it. Either I don't know if you could. I think they had explosive bows. I don't know if that was in Resident Evil 2 or if that was only in Code Veronica. But still, wasn't the um, bow guns just didn't really fit in that game. And they're, they really are more complicated weapons to use, so it makes sense they're not in there. Um, 
But yeah. Otherwise, the game felt great. I'm on my B playthroughs, and hey, I'm loving them. And let's finish off the day with a little bit about a talk about Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4. So I have completed the story on that, the main story, and I'm working on the DLC, and that... Again, nothing but love for that game. So well done. Just, just amazing. Voice acting, story writing, character creation, world creation... Thank you, Insomniac Games, for making that. It, you know, you is it Insomniac. Yeah, it was Insomniac. But let me just make sure. Because, uh, cause those guys, yeah, they 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 were great, and I think, um, yeah, it it was just amazing. Um, just, just, just quite, quite a thing. I I can't I just I don't know what what's next for him but I know that they're that whatever Insomniac does next is going to be quite good especially with uh how they were able to get through doing what they did and I I just <clears throat> it, it it was just very 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 good very fun I I've, I've never not I've never, but I I feel like an open world game with that good of a story and that that good of a storyline and that good of creating a world that it's not just huge and open, but feels truly alive. Like when you stop the game, stop playing, it doesn't mean the world ends. It means the world keeps going in some way. It is hard. Like the last game that really gave me that true feeling was Guerrilla Games's uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, which made the world feel vast, but also a lot going on. I I just <clears throat> that's all I can really say. Anyway, that's about it for for me. I I again, I'm I'm st- stepping away from some of the political stuff today, and there's not really much else going on. Um you know, I guess uh, you know, Super Bowl coming up on Sunday. Um Rams versus Patriots, so we'll see about that. We'll see if Jared Goff can beat uh, beat Tom Brady and his crew. Um the game should be good, and frankly, it could have been any team from uh, it could have been any team from the play divisional playoffs. I would have been happy with Saints Patriots. I would have been happy with with Kansas City Saints. I would have been happy with Kansas City versus the Rams. Kansas City versus the Saints, like Saints versus you know, like all of them against everybody. Like it would have been just great. And there were we already know what the Rams and Kansas City were going to be like with that earlier game last year. Where they just were, it was the highest scoring collective game ever. Like, not high scoring NFL game, but highest scoring game for both teams because they both scored above 50 points. Like, that would have been great to see. It would be great to see Brady play against <clears throat> against uh, Drew Brees. It would have been great to see Goff play, you know, against Mahomes again. There's only so many combinations, but it, 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 it's quite, it should be a good Super Bowl. It should be. And, of course, uh, that's about it. Um, what else is coming up? Um, well, Far Cry New Dawn's supposed to be out soon, which is the continue on from Far Cry 5, which I haven't completed yet. I don't know. Like, New Dawn doesn't really interest me. I- I'd rather play Rage 2. And Oh, yeah, and then there's all this... Um, there's stuff about Metro Exodus, which is coming up, and apparently how that's moved to the um, <coughs> Epic Store. 
I, I'm... There's all these things about gaming, um, about the, the total world of gaming, that's always a little weird to see. I understand why developers want to move to platforms and want to be on more diverse things, and I like that. I don't like the idea of platforms being exclusive. I don't like how Steam had exclusivities for some stuff. I don't like how EA's moved all their stuff into Origin, and they've been becoming exclusive. Ubisoft, you can buy practically anywhere, except now they're going to the Epic Store as exclusivity. Now, I know the Epic Store is a little bit cheaper, because it's, I think it's, what is it? It's a 12 or 13% cut of the sales versus 30%, which Steam takes, which is a lot. But considering that Steam's infrastructure and support and how many people they have... You can sort of understand why, to a degree. But then uh, other people have talked about how um, I watched one episode of the quartering, and I don't know if uh, I don't know if I fully agree with this that developers are going picking Epic Games as launcher, and how maybe soon Bethesda will have their own unique launcher, and how how we're seeing this fracturing of it, which is which the fracturing could bring back the pirating days, because any game can be pirated, no matter how hard the makers try it. The, you're only buying days at be- at best. You're buying days, at, and at worst, you're buying hours. Because I know some of the most he- heavily, like um, like some of the best ERM systems, which which is Denovo, as one of the big ones in industry. I know that some of their games are hacked within like they're uh, within hours of release. They're already completely broken through. Some took three or four days, but it doesn't take that long. And I, I and I get why the the fragmentation of distribution of these games is actually causing more problem. I don't like the idea of one company having a monopoly. I don't like the idea of Valve and Steam having a monopoly over PC games. I think that what it should be is they shouldn't be the exclusivity. It's it's sort of like the PC thing of like I wish that that Spider Man was was out on Xbox. I wish God of War was on Xbox. I wish that uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was on Xbox. I wish that every game that was exclusive on PlayStation was on Xbox, and I wish vice versa. Because I don't like this idea of... And I understand that there are first-party exclusivities, like Sony owns studios and Microsoft owns studios, and they're only going to make games for themselves. I wish that it was more often than not that they were making games for each other, because when we all get to experience it, it's it's great. Because um, when you realize that these systems are $400 plus... That means to play two systems, you could be shelling out seven hundred plus U.S. dollars plus the games at sixty plus bucks. You know that's ex- that's an expensive thing to ask for, especially since in May, two years we're definitely going to have new systems, either either from Sony or from both Sony and Xbox. Within two to three years, we'll have new systems for both, and that's an expensive price tag to take. I mean, yes, the gaming generation is more is more post-20 years old, uh, the original gaming generation, and they were able to have more disposable income when you get out of university and stuff like that. Or get a job, or maybe you go into a trade school and stuff like that, and get paid much better. But there is a problem where we're coming up to a future where there's a lot of tangible assets in the world, such as housing, which is becoming overpriced because the the baby boomer, boomer generation and Generation X has a lot of, um, saw a time of massive economic growth per the individual. And generation, uh, well, the millennials and the post-millennial generation, generation, uh, I don't know, they come generation Z, I think it is, um, has seen relatively little economic growth per the individual, more economic growth per the mega corporations. Like Apple has gone up and now they're being corrected because they're coming down from the trillion dollar thing. And we're seeing just, it seems like, 
the impossible, the the things that go on for the impossible things cannot go on forever. Phrase is coming true about the stock market, and a lot of value of things that were hyperinflated in the stock market is now starting to come back down. Realizing like it's, it's becoming exponentially more expensive to develop new technologies and new toys. It's like we haven't seen it. Like we're not seeing this unique change up in phone technology and in mobile technology like the ipad and the iphone were revolutionary devices but we haven't really seen the replacement the wearable like watch is not really i know people who wear the apple watch i can't i don't i personally don't like the apple watch i people who wear it it's like okay you you got a micro version of your iphone on your watch that does less that costs 400 plus dollars u.s I mean, I, I get it. Like, you know, it's a fashion statement. Like, watches watches are for fashion, and they're not technology. And Apple tried to solve that, and they didn't really do a, an amazing job of it. I get why people like it. It's like, oh, people like Apple stuff. Okay, some people buy it only because it would be Apple. It's like uh, that old um, robot video of the, the person coming in and wanting to buy an iPhone 4 at a store, and the guy's selling, like, we'll, we'll sell you the HTC Evo, which is a better phone iPhone 4. Four. I must have the iPhone 4. Why do you want the iPhone 4? It's got the Wi-Fi's Fi's and the 3G's. It's like... What? Okay, and I'm ranting on this. But I think that we, we have not seen that growth yet. And, I, and I, I don't know why what's slowing us down. Is it because it's too costly to make it? Is it because stockholders don't want to spend the money in investment and are scared that when companies decide to say, hey, we're not going to make as much money this year, but we're going to throw a lot more of investing for next year? Is that becoming... Um, are the stockholders and mutual funds and all these big agencies, are they, are they just really they need to get their X number percentage of growth a year? And if they don't get it, it's terrible. And it can't be like, hey, we're not going to make 10% growth this year. We're going to make 3%, but next year we're probably going to make 25 because we've saved this money and then it creates this new paradigm. And it, it, I wonder if it's the same in the top end of the gaming spectrum where you're getting um, like EA stock has been going down. So has some of the other major companies. Stock has been going down post-December. Uh, because games are getting more expensive to make relatively, uh, or at least they complain about it, even though their profits are going up because of microtransactions and loot boxes and all this other stuff. So obviously your question is, is that are they really becoming more expensive or the fact that you are making less off the game sale and shipping less units, but you're making more percentage? Like, like if you, the stockholders who are looking at this are maybe saying, like, this m- m- like stream of... I'm going to make five games a year, but they're going to have microtransactions and loot boxes. They're going to make 10 times the game value over its lifetime is making more, more sense. And then you're seeing the, the population of gamers is pulling back from that. And it's like, no, I'm not going to buy your loot boxes. I'm not going to buy your, your stupid little, like, Oh, here, here, pay $5 for, for 500 coins in game to make yourself a little bit better. Like you're seeing that, that the people who are paying that is getting continuously smaller I mean, they're still making tons of money, but they're they're getting smaller and smaller, and I wonder if that is the problem for the gaming industry, where they've been too much. They've bet too much on this these small portion of their fan base and their player base that has the money to be able to pay for it. And now they're seeing <coughs> the reality of that. Plus, they're seeing the government's getting involved in regulating the stuff now. The governments wouldn't have needed to regulate microtransactions and the loot boxes and all this BS if if the gaming industry had had some self-control on realizing that 
th- this is nearly exploitative. And once it gets exploitative, specifically to people under the age of 18, and actually, arguably, people under the age of 24, that these were manipulated in a way to guarantee that they would spend money. And I, 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 I see this as a problem going forward. And I understand, like, I, I don't like that Belgium is getting involved in saying loot boxes are gambling, but I completely see the pathway of where that is and why that's happened. So that's all I can really say about that. I don't know. I, I It seems like the, the, the mid-level tier gaming companies and a lot of the first-party guys who aren't doing DLC BS... And you're you're just you know you're just going out and you're buying the full game. You're having the great experience, and then you get to buy like the expansion packs, this DLC later on. Yeah, I'll uh, uh, Halo, Resident Evil, um, Battlefield Gothic. Uh, it seems like games that have like a very set system of like you're gonna pay for the game, and there's no real like if you you can add on to it, but you're not gonna lose experience from not from just avoiding this. Seems like the cool way to go, and I I just. I don't know where we're going to go past that. Maybe, maybe be, it will be great. Maybe it won't be. But that's about it. Uh, well, thank you for listening to Ace Cactus, Battlefleet Anchovies, and Romaine Lettuce Evil. Hope to hear you again soon. We should be recording next week. Bye.